Tri-State at the plate. I'm your host, Andy Burdick, joined today by the ginger prince of baseball himself, Bob Finkbeiner. Bob, how are you this morning? I'm fantastic. Glad to be here once again. It's been way too long for us. Oh my God, it's been two months. Two months. That's that's a really long time for us. But I will say that the reason that we've had a two-month layoff and we missed the entire uh, postseason is because, uh, as as our listeners know, I, I have a, a son at home. I don't think he's a newborn anymore. I guess you call him an infant, maybe. I don't know what you call a baby at four months. He's a, or a five-month-old baby now. But over the summer, because I'm, I'm a teacher, I have summers off, and I could balance having a, a baby at home and recording a podcast. But now that I have to go back to work, I can't balance work and a baby and a podcast. It's tough to do, Bob. It's tough to do. It's it's a lot to juggle. I <laughs> I wish Jason was here because I would love to hear his response, and I'm sure he'll enjoy uh, hearing this and be chuckling to himself as he's driving to work listening to it. But uh, there would be times where when Jason had a, a newborn, when Silas was born, that we would be trying to record, and Jason wouldn't be able to. You know, he'd be trying to put the kid down to bed, and Silas wouldn't be cooperating going to bed, and I'd be on the other end. Not being, like, super critical, but in my head thinking, like, well, what's so hard about it? Just put him down. <laughs> and now that I have a kid at home, I'm like, oh, no, I get it, Jason. Oh, I I get it now. That's why you can't just drop everything and record. Anybody, so if I have a kid, I'll have the same problems. Right, yeah. Anybody who's not a parent right now is probably <laughs> going, like, well, what's the big deal? Just put the baby down. And anybody who has kids is just laughing to themselves hysterically right now, like, ah, eh, see? Yeah. It's not that easy. <laughs> but I'm loving parenthood. It's great. Uh, just you have to you have to learn how to manage your time much more efficiently as well. All right. But we're back. Sorry, I was taking a sip of coffee there. That's coffee is the fuel for uh, new parents, uh, in case you're not aware of that also. But uh, today we're going to be talking. We got plenty of baseball to talk about. So we're going to be talking about the Pirates. We're going to be talking about the uh, Indians and their uh, tragic demise at the end of the season. But before we get to that, a couple things we want to talk about. The first thing I want to talk about is the CBA talks between Major League Baseball and uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred. And we were talking a little bit before we got uh, recording today about how the talks are getting ready to wrap up. And one of the things that I think is kind of interesting and that, that you brought up um, that they are talking about with this collective bargaining agreement is that Major League Baseball is looking to expand the active roster, which is currently at 25 players. They would like to add that 26 player. Now, Bob, I kind of want to hear your thoughts about this, and then I guess we can kind of go from there. But what do you think about this potential active roster expansion? Now, it does come on the heels of right, recognition that <clears throat> the rosters will be limited come September instead of the usual 40-man <laughs> rosters. Yes, yeah, so they're looking at potentially changing the way that um, roster organization would change at the end of the season when you have September call-ups. So, there's, I guess there's two points of view here from our two, two main considerations I have. I like the added roster spot, which will allow then players to be managed more throughout the course of the season, manage your health, hopefully avoid injuries. But I also worry about if that extra person becomes uh, 
Arsenal in the bullpen, and we have yet another pitching change in a game that slows the game down more. Oh, you guarantee, in the American League at least, that that player is definitely another bullpen piece. <laughs> like, right. like Tito right now is losing his mind because he might have another <laughs> arm in that bullpen, as if Andrew Miller's not enough. <laughs> but I, so I, I guess I kind of want to focus on the roster expansion itself. I think going to the 26th man makes sense, especially in this, <clears throat> we're in this era of arm management, trying to keep players healthy and, and not wanting to put too much pressure on, on pitchers because we know how stressful the throwing motion is and how quickly you can kind of burn out arms uh throwing a baseball um the in, the other interesting component about the the uh September call-ups um it sounds like the the new rule that they're considering would limit clubs to 28 players for any given game um during that September month of the season um which i to me that that makes sense having those expanded rosters in September where just you have unlimited arms like that at the end of the season, that's what really drags those games out. I mean, I would be fine with just limiting it to every, which to me in my head, before I really started digging in, um, you know, over the last few years, I guess I had just assumed that when rosters expanded uh, in September that you didn't have all, you know, 40 players active for each game i thought you kind of had to declare players active for a game and so in my head that would make sense like i would be fine with it even being just 26 players active for the game and you need to decide who they are um, but i think anything that you do to kind of cut down those rosters at the end of the season to stop letting managers go nuts like that makes sense do you think that a 26 person would that invite more teams to consider a six-man rotation? I don't know. That's interesting. Um, I mean, <clears throat> think about think about the way the game's structured now and the way that, that players get hurt. I mean, your rotations are pretty much <laughs> six, seven, eight-man rotations, depending on how many players are healthy all season. Um, so, I mean, I I think teams will definitely be experimenting with more starters, as opposed to, you know, we're, we're definitely past the uh, the era where we have four-man rotations. You know what I mean? We're not going backwards at this point. <laughs> no. So, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, yeah. I, I could see a lot of teams um, experimenting with, with, you know, a six-man rotation. I mean, to me, I look at the Mets. Conceivably, if all their young talent comes back and are healthy come opening day, why not go ahead and go a six-man rotation and try to keep them on limited account for a portion of the season? Right. I mean, teams like to, and I'm, I'm using air quotes here, manage innings uh, for players. And I guess there's some uh, some data out there that kind of supports, like, well, there's correlations between huge leaps in innings uh, from year to year and in arm injuries. You know, there's no magical percentage or there's no magical number that, you know, if you threw 150 innings last year, if you throw 180 innings this year, that you're going to hurt your arm. But, um, yeah, I mean, something like that would definitely make sense. You know, if you don't have enough room for Matt's and Harvey, assuming that he comes back and is healthy and, you know, all those guys in there. Yeah, 
why not try a six-man rotation and limit everybody's innings that way? Mm-hmm. Especially if you have the talent. I mean, I don't think a lot of teams really have the talent, and that's why I think you'll see it in limited use. I mean, it has to make sense for a team. But, right. you know, like I said, there's so many injuries throughout the year with your starting pitchers that every team has a six-man rotation, whether they call it that or not. You know what I mean? Like, you're plugging guys in all season long. So... Um, but I, I I like the idea of it. Again, trying to keep arms healthy, I think, is the important thing. You, it, it's bad for baseball when you're seeing players like Matt Harvey that are flaming out at 26 years old. Like, that's not good. It's bad when Sandy Koufax can only pitch until he's 27. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of my thought on it. Anything else that you want to add to that? No, I agree. I think that's I think it's an interesting concept that it would be nice to see employed throughout the whole league. Yeah. Now, the CBAs, uh, I think they're supposed to wrap up before the end of the year. I'm not 100% sure on that. December. December yeah. something, I thought. Right, yeah. So that's kind of something to keep an eye on. I know <laughs> – here's one thing I do know based on my experience with collective bargaining. Major League Baseball's <laughs> front office and and the owners and Major League Baseball's players are in a – everybody's in a really good place right now everybody's making a lot of money. The owners and the front office is probably making, you know, a lot, a lot of money, but you're... And oh, what else has happened too? the NFL has had poorer ratings this year. Right. Yeah. I think it was, was it a world series game that outdrew uh mm-hmm. Sunday night football game for the first time in like seven or eight years or something. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, there you do not want to work stoppage. No. <laughs> I think <clears> everybody <throat> wants to get this ironed out. <laughs> I think it's definitely going to get done. So it'll just be kind of interesting to see when they hammer out the details what ends up <clears throat> what ends up uh, going in this next CBA. But I don't think it's going to change the game of baseball the way that we are used to watching it. Certainly. Okay. Um, before we move on to talking about the Indians, there is something that I do want to bring up um, because it's something that, that I particularly enjoy. Over these next couple winter months in between now and February when guys start reporting to camps, you, you get kind of lonely. You miss baseball. Maybe you go on MLB.com, you watch some highlights, your favorite plays from the years previous. Maybe you go watch some highlights the last time your team was in the World Series in 1979. Who knows? <laughs> But you know what? This sounds like an infomercial, by the way. I realized that in the middle of this. But you know what? You If you've got these wintertime blues, Bob, you know what you can do to help pass these these difficult months without Major League Baseball? You can watch baseball <laughs> and down under. <laughs> I feel like the ABL should be sponsoring this podcast the way that we're presenting <laughs> this. That's right, Bob. You can watch Australian baseball. Uh <laughs> Now, last night I had, I had terrible heartburn, and so I was up at like 3.30 in the morning, which is great because at 3.30 in the morning here in the Southern Hemisphere, it's like 7 o'clock at night, which is when all their games start. So at 3.30 in the morning, I uh, popped open YouTube, and Australian baseball streams for free on YouTube uh, all their games. So I put on last night, uh, Canberra Calvary was playing the um, Brisbane Bandits. And it's good, like, it's good baseball for, 
a period of time where there is no baseball, this is great baseball, and it's free. Um, the production quality is kind of what you would get if you have um, minor league baseball TV. I mean, it's not like a major league game where you have all these awesome camera angles and you're, you know, cutting down to the to the reporter in the dugout. But I mean, it's it's like watching minor league baseball TV. You get, you know, your your camera behind the pitcher. You get a, a camera angle at first base when there's like a ground ball and a close play. Um, and it's it's cool to watch. Um, there's not, and like I said, I would equate the talent that you're seeing in these Australian league baseball games to that of watching a double a game. Um, you get You get a lot of players from Japan. You get, um, quite a few players that, that come from the States. You get, um, some Latin players that are, are heading over there. Um, not a lot of guys that are on like active 40 man rosters, but guys that you could be seeing on the back end of like teams, top 20 lists. Um, you know, they could be on the 40 man roster in, in a few years. Um, just to kind of put things in perspective, um, former Erie Seawolf Warwick Salpold, um, who is a native Australian, um, mm-hmm. he pitches for the Perth Heat. Um, Tyler Bortnick, a Seawolves alum, uh, yep. he is playing for the Sydney Blue Sox this year. Uh, Peter Moylan, who is listed at a whopping 188 centimeters tall, he is pitching for the Melbourne Aces. Uh, by the way, I have no idea how tall 188 centimeters is because we live in America and we don't use the metric system. <laughs> is that is 188 centimeters tall? How tall is that? I, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. No idea. It, that could be really small. Peter Moylan could be really short. I'm not sure. Um, but that's kind of what that's kind of what you get over there. You get um, you know, some some guys that you could see popping up on Major League Baseball teams' radars. Uh, in the next couple years, are playing over there. Um, Kevin Kiermeyer was a former Australian Baseball League alum, uh, the current center fielder for the the Rays and Gold Glove winner. Also has some stunning blue eyes, uh, as my wife will tell you. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's good baseball. It's a lot of fun to watch. So if you are missing baseball over the next few months, uh, tune in to the Australian Baseball League on YouTube, subscribe. They'll send you updates to let you know when games start. So when you wake up in the morning, you'll see that you have four notifications about games starting at 3 in the morning. Um, But they're all on replay. They're all free to watch. So definitely tune in. All right, Bob, you ready to talk about how this Major League Baseball season ended? Oh, I guess. We're (laughs) going to open up some old wounds here. Yeah. Some some of these wounds will be a little fresh, and some of these wounds are going to be some deep uh, emotional scars. All right, That's so right. the Cleveland Indians, as we're all well aware, uh, won the, the American League pennant and uh, looked to be on track to win the first World Series since 19... What is it, 48? 1948, yes, when they beat the Boston Braves. <laughs> That's a long time. That was such a long time that the team that they played does not even exist anymore. I just move locations, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're a glass half full kind of guy. Um, yes, basically, you sum it up with, uh, you know, they had a 3-1 lead over, well, I think most honest, uh, try to not be biased, Cleveland fans would say, a better team. Oh, I think, I mean, the Cubs were favored by Vegas to oh, be huge. World yeah. Series winners at the beginning of the season. Uh, and they had, I mean, like crazy odds at the the beginning of the year for a, a baseball team. Um, 
Yeah, and I mean, they're just, they're not just better than the Cleveland Indians. They're probably better than everybody else. Right. (laughs) They are, I don't want to say definitively, but they are, by a lot of evaluators' estimations, the best team in baseball. Yes. I think what you saw is, obviously, what got Cleveland to that point in the season, pitching and good defense and timely offense, but you also saw the lack of depth that Cleveland had that cut them at the very end, too. Yeah. I mean, having, having Kluber go out there for a third time, Kluber is, unfortunately, his nickname Klubot, he is also human. And he tires. And you notice that right away in that game when almost every out that was made was a fly ball, which is not characteristic of Kluber. Andrew Miller, the superhero that he is, is also human. I mean, we give up a home run to but David Ross. You know, that happens occasionally. Very, very rarely. <laughs> but it made I guess. And they had an awesome comeback. Touched up Chapman, forced some extra innings. Take the momentum on our side. You know, we're going to pull it out. And then just couldn't quite get there. Yeah, that was a, that was a particularly heart-wrenching <laughs> way for that. Oh. <laughs> for that World Series to end. I uh, I mean, again, being a new parent, I was not even anywhere close to being awake for the end of that. So I knew pretty much that game I was going to experience when I woke up the next day and saw the update on my phone. And then I would have to watch all the highlights, um, which is exactly how that played out. I I don't even know. I, I fell asleep, I think, during Andrew Miller's uh, couple innings that he came in and pitched in that game. I didn't even make it to the extra innings. Um, you know what's surprising though to me I've had this conversation with many other friends too is and I'm not, I'm not saying this in hindsight I said this at the time it actually happened if I was Madden I would not have pulled Hendricks when he did oh that was when he pulled Hendricks I was thinking to myself if the Cubs lose this game he is going to be oh the scapegoat for Cubs yeah. fans like they would replace the Billy Goat with Joe Madden <laughs> right. Like, that's what that – he set himself up to be the next Steve Bartman uh, mm-hmm. for if for pulling Kyle Hendricks if that backfires. It was a classic case of, I think you're overmanaging here. <laughs> yep. But – so now I'm kind of curious in just a, a broader sense because, especially as a, a, as a Pirates fan for the last, uh, you know, 20 or so years, you have to be more of a – big picture thinker because that's all there ever was to focus on was, well, where are we going to be next? Because this season's a train wreck. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like, I like to think big picture about teams. So as an Indians fan, when you look at this season, what do you think about the season? Do you consider it a success or a failure for the tribe? I think of the season as a success. And here's why the heart of the team overall an important piece that you tend to build a franchise around is all retained for this coming season, next season. And in fact, actually, most of it is going to be there for the next two, three seasons. So we have to add a few pieces. But overall, though, I think their map on how to win games again in the postseason is well intact still. Yeah, I actually am 100% on board with that. If... You know, if I were an Indians fan, I would be looking at this season and saying, like, man, that loss was tough. But look at where we're 
like look at where we're going. Right. Um, I mean, behind the plate, you still have Yohan Gomes. Hopefully, will bounce back next year. Berto Perez proved his worth. Uh, Francisco Mejia was just added to the forty-man roster, and he'll be under control for at least six years. So the backstop position should be okay, even if that not, not, might not be the most um, name-worthy collection of talent. Second base, Kipnis is fine. Lindor at short is fine. Jose Ramirez will find a place somewhere. Obviously, he had a, a outbreak of a season this year. And then Braley hopefully comes back. That's the question mark really in the outfield. Because so you, have, you have pieces there to work with. Yeah, absolutely. Your core is there. And you know what? The problem with baseball, and I suppose if you're not someone who really digs into the, um, I guess, sabermetric perspective of baseball, the, the problem with, with fans that don't really understand the, the numbers of baseball, when you get to the playoffs, everything's a crapshoot. I mean, it's... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, very rarely does the best team win. The best team all season long very rarely wins in baseball anymore because of just the randomness and the I, the the commissioner's office. Bud Selig did a lot of things that I don't agree with and don't necessarily like, but he was pretty good at bringing a, a competitive balance to baseball for smaller market and, and larger market teams. And when you get to the playoffs, you have these wild card teams now. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a crapshoot. It really yep. is just a crapshoot when you get to the playoffs. And... I think the thing that, that stings the most about looking at the Indians this year and seeing where they're you know, where they're going next year and years after that is that they have this great core there, but you know how easy it is to not make the playoffs. I mean you're one or two injuries away from not being able to make the playoffs, you're one or two underperformances away from not being able to make the playoffs. Well that's a great point because think back. Just two years ago, Sports Illustrated had the Indians on the cover to make the World Series. Right. That they was... had to fight and claw their way back to finish one game above 500 to end the season and miss the playoffs. Right. I mean, that and was that the beginning of the Swisher-Born contracts, or was that one year into them? That was, uh, what, so two years ago would have been, what, the third year, I think, in it? Yeah, so... Or second or third year of the contracts. Yeah, and I mean, and we've talked about this ad nauseum on this podcast, but like... When you, you know, when you're the Indians and you sign Nick Swisher and you sign Michael Bourne and then they go out and play like they played and they give you zero production, sometimes probably even close to negative value, like it's going to ruin your, it's just going to ruin your season. And so, you know, the Indians have this great core, but imagine if, you know, Michael Brantley gets hurt again and he can't play and you're counting on him. And then, you know, imagine that Michael Brantley's replacement doesn't come out and play lights out like Tyler Naquin did during the beginning of the um, season, certainly not through the playoffs, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) which that's a whole nother topic we can get to in a second, but you know, like that's, that's what you are. You're one Corey Kluber injury away from not being able to be back in that position to win again. Or that's that's what's Rasco. Right. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's the same thing. Like you saw that with the pirates this year. The reason that the pirates have been so successful over the last couple years is because, they go out and sign Edinson Volquez, who pitches out of his mind, and they get this incredible production from from players that propels them into playoff contention. Well, this year, when they sign Juan Nicasio, and he's a train wreck, and 
when you know Garrett Cole doesn't pitch like an ace, and then they lose AJ Burn uh, AJ Burnett's production, and like when all that stuff goes wrong, the, the Pirates weren't a playoff team this year, right? And that's like the kind of thing that I think if I were an Indians fan, I would be looking at and saying like that's the hard part. The hard part is not knowing if you're ever going to be able to make it back there and be in that position where you're up three to one again. I don't know. I don't know. How do you how do like how do you feel about that as an Indians fan? You you already so you feel like the season's a success. I do. It's a painful loss, and I really thought once they were up three games to one, they're going to pull it out somehow, some way. They're going to pull it out, even though they're not the best team in baseball. They're playing the best baseball at the time. I and thought now, for sure. Oh, I thought uh, for sure that Corey Kluber game. I thought Kluber was going to come out and just be Corey Kluber. Oh, I did too. But at the beginning of the, and I will say the one thing that I was surprised about during that game was that at the beginning of the game, you could tell, like you said, this is not like Corey Kluber, Corey Kluber. Right. And I'm That's surprised that Tito stuck with him for as long as he did. I was surprised too. I thought, you know, we mentioned this before, you and I and Jason, having seen Salazar come back and pitch a little bit in that World Series, and while he was a little bit rusty, he still had great stuff. I was surprised he wasn't used a little bit more than what he was actually used overall. Right. But then again, we don't know, was he really 100% healthy, or was he basically just being used when he actually could throw a few things and that's it? Right. Yeah, that's, know. that's but, tough when you're not, because there's so much stuff that you don't know behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe there's days where he just couldn't throw. But yeah. I think if, you know, Antonetti and Chernoff have and, and Tito have proved that they can manage a roster of, you know, pretty solid talent players. Like Brendan Geyer, he was huge. Geyer was huge to this postseason run. And I think I don't and I wish Jason was here so I could ask him, but I think wasn't Geyer Jason's pick for like uh playoff MVP for the Indians at the beginning <laughs> of the playoffs. Didn't Jason think, say that? I think so, yeah. Maybe it was in a text thread, I'd have to go back and look, but yeah, I'm pretty sure, like, that was a guy that we were talking about him when we were, you know, talking back and forth at the beginning of the playoffs where, like, this guy could be the Indians' postseason MVP. I'm pretty sure he finished with a 500 on-base percentage the whole postseason. Really? Yes. I mean, that's the kind of player he is. And Tito knows, Tito loves tinkering, and he's yep. he's going to figure out how to get the, you know, the best out of guys. Um, yeah. I don't and know. I will say... <laughs> I am worried about one thing, though, and there was rumors coming out of Cleveland a little bit that supposedly the Indians have been contacted <clears throat> by multiple teams on the availability in a trade for Andrew Miller. Oh, I'm sure every team wants Andrew Miller right now. Right. I think you're going to see teams go nuts this winter. Signing really – like, Aroldis Chapman is going to go to the Yankees for – Oh, yeah. He's going to be the first, like, $100 million relief pitcher because – that's how teams are gonna, teams are going to try and win with that. I think that bullpen construction. But if you're Cleveland, though, for what you gave up, and obviously it's to be determined the outcome of these players, but from what you gave up though right now for Andrew Miller in the season that you just had, do you actually entertain thoughts of trading him? I don't think you can. And that was going to be one of the things that I want yeah. to ask you in a minute is um, knowing how things turned out 
So if you would have known ahead of time that the Indians were going to lose the World Series, would you have still traded away the package that you traded to bring Andrew Miller to the Indians for two years? Yes. And why would you have done that? You don't get the World Series without Andrew Miller. Mm Mm-hmm. And knowing that it's a bonus that you have under control for two more full seasons. If he's this good, you could take him away next next July or in July two years from now. Oh, is he two years after the season? Yeah, he's under control for 2017 and 2018. He's a free agent in 2019. Oh, okay. In my yeah, in my head, I was thinking he was a free agent after next season. No. Um. That's yeah. huge leverage. That is. Uh... Yeah, because, and I guess in the worst case scenario, so you imagine like next season things fall apart. All right, well, we want to start building for next year or, you know, the next couple years. Yeah, man, flip Andrew Miller July. Yeah. Cody Allen is an ARB 2 guy for this upcoming season. He's an ARB 3 in 2018, the last year that Miller's under control. And they're both free agents in 2019. I mean, you you saw the package that, the Yankees got back in return for Andrew Miller and you got, okay. you know, the Indians best hitting prospect um, and a couple other, you know, top 20 um, Cleveland prospects. When you go to flip Andrew Miller to a team that's in contention again, like you're going to get that back. Oh yeah. Or at least that's what you should be asking for. I would think like, yeah, I would think so. <laughs> huh? Yeah. That's a, uh... That Andrew Miller question, like, I've been thinking about that a lot since the Indians lost. Would I still trade Andrew Miller knowing the outcome? So I'm curious to find out, sorry, what happens now with this improbable postseason run, in a way, with that additional revenue generated, how's that going to be used for the roster? Yeah, that's a good question. And the one thing I will say also about uh, Cleveland, you know, for the last couple of years, I've been ragging on Indians fans because a lot of them don't show up. True. Um, I, I think some of that probably has to do with the decline in population in Cleveland as far as like Rust Belt cities go. And, you know, you just you're not in an economically stable environment um, mm-hmm. like you were, you know, even 20 years ago when when the Jake was open. But I think some of it has to do with general apathy towards baseball in Cleveland. I don't I, I don't think that there's any reason that Cleveland should be like barely floating above you know, Oakland and Tampa Bay, as far as attendance goes, like, I think more people should be showing up at the ballpark. Um, yes. You know, economics I the, aside. I went to the first two ALDS games against Boston <clears throat> games one and two, and it was an awesome atmosphere. Right. That's the way it should be though. More than just a postseason though. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I, I, I think that you should probably still have a, a fairly su- more supportive fan base than you've been having, but, um, you know, the, yeah, you're, you're getting all this money for, for being in the postseason and you are generating that extra revenue. And again, the one thing you can say about Cleveland is when the, the Dolans have revenue, they invest it in the team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you saw with the Swisher and Bourne signings, that was the last time they really went out and made like a big splash because they thought they were going to be able to make a push with those guys. Um, right. they're, they're not scared to, to spend money when they have it. So, I mean, if you're an Indians fan, you, you really can't complain about how you're, small market team spends their money. <laughs> um, and the money from that deal, uh, when they sent Bourne, especially to Atlanta, 
for that Chris Johnson contract also, that deal's off the books after 2017. Oh, there's still another year of that? Yep. Oh, my God, man. That's like the <laughs> the contract that won't end. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, that. I mean, it was good because it freed up those roster spots and I guess, right. you know, whatever you just... You're going to eat the money no matter what, so you might as well have the roster spots. But yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that was probably a lesson in uh, being careful about how you spend your money. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. One of the very few front office gaffes that you have seen come out of there. Cleveland usually runs a pretty tight ship as far as how they spend money. I think. Yeah, they go pretty good. You usually end up with more Brandon Geyers than you do Nick Swishers. I feel like. <laughs> yes to put that into context. Um, so another thing I want to ask you, and I'm, I'm curious about this too, now that you've seen how the season ends, has has ended. If you would have known at the beginning of the season, so right before the, the regular season got started, how Cleveland season was going to end and the way things that were going to play out, would you have wanted Cleveland to trade Carrasco or Salazar to bring in a bat like Javier Baez, who was reportedly being his name was bandied about in a trade for for one of those players um yeah think about that for a minute yeah <laughs> do you want me to do you want me to give you my well, answer to give you time well, to, to formulate yours i think i have mine i got it i don't like trading away pitching i just don't especially affordable cost control pitching for hitters that aren't necessarily proven. Like, I like Baez's talent. I think he's got a high ceiling, but his K rates still scare the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> if you ask me for a Schwarber, if Schwarber comes with Joe Buck, that's a fantastic deal. But I'm just playing, obviously. So, because I've been thinking a lot about this also uh, since the World Series ended, and I would say that if I were a Cleveland fan, I would definitely have wanted them to do that, knowing the way that things would have played out. Okay. I was I was on the fence at the beginning of the season of whether I thought they should do it or not because, um, number one, of the volatility of arms, um, just, just as far as health goes, but also, number two, because you're dealing from a, a position of strength, and I still think... Even if you trade Salazar or Carrasco, you still have Kluber and then, you know, one of those two guys with Bauer behind them. And then you're looking at, you know, Tomlin or, you know, whichever guys you start cycling through at the back end of your rotation, which every team has to do. Because even the best teams in baseball, again, unless you're the Mets, but even the Mets were ravaged by injuries, so they had a totally jacked up rotation. But every team has to fill their fourth and fifth spot all season long. You know what I mean? It's just a revolving door. Right, but isn't it ironic though that the rotation for the tribe postseason was more or less Kluwer, Bauer, Tomlin? Yeah, right. And yeah. <laughs> and so if if you would tell me at the beginning of the season, like, look, this is how it's going to play out, I would say, yeah, let's pull the trigger on that. Now, and the other thing I I really liked about Javier Baez this year, when you look at his defensive metrics at the end of the year, awesome defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you saw with like that was the whole. Uh, World Series uh, narrative, it seemed like, surrounding him was his ability, like, the quick tag. Tag. You know, getting that <laughs> mitt down, and he tags Lindor out of the second. Um, 
So, I mean, that's at the end of the season when you, you're able to look at things again in hindsight. That's another really appealing component. The strikeout rate is alarming uh, at, at 24%, but <laughs> the power's legit. Um, so I, I think I would have done it. At the beginning of the year, I think when uh, you and I and Jason had talked about it, I think you guys had talked me on to your side of the fence about not wanting to trade one of those arms. Right. And I think now knowing the way things end, I would have definitely, I think I would have definitely wanted to go back to my side of the fence and trade one of those pitchers. It's a very interesting what if scenario. Oh, it is, isn't it? Yeah. This is (laughs) what consumes me while I'm sitting around bouncing a a baby off my knee all day long. That's all I think about while I'm watching Teletubby videos or whatever it is kids watch nowadays. Um, so yeah, anything else that you want to touch on about the tribe? That's, I think we're good. Those were kind of my just general sentiments about how the, the postseason went, how maybe, again, using the hindsight monster, I would want things done a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. But, all right, you want to talk about the pirate season? It's uh, probably about as equally as depressing as <laughs> the Indians, although in a much less dramatic fashion. There you go. Just... Still really super depressing. Just there's no no real uh, intrigue at the end of the pirate season because it was just a garbage fire all year. Um, so, yeah, as everybody has hopefully noticed by now, the Pirates did not make the playoffs, nor the World Series. Uh, that's because a lot of things went wrong this season. There were some things that, that did go well. Gre- Gregory Polanco is progressing... I think really well as a, an overall baseball player offensively and defensively. Um, Starling Marte won his second career gold glove this year. So that's kind of neat. And I think it's like a well-earned gold glove. I don't think it's like, Oh, we made a mistake with this. I mean, he plays one of the toughest left fields in baseball and he plays it really well. Primarily, Mm -hmm. I think because he's a center fielder that can play or that, you know, has to play left field with a strong Um, arm too. Yeah. Great arm. Super fast. He covers that north side notch really well in the outfield. Um, so kudos to him on that. Um, but going back to some sad news, and I know this is going to really just tear at Jason's heart, but I'm sad to report that Stetson Alley was eligible for minor league free agency, and the Dodgers <laughs> have decided that they're going to, to take on Stetson Alley. No. Yeah. R.I.P. Stetson Alley. Ah, oh, sad. That's that's an alley autograph that that Jason has framed <laughs> on his desk. Um, it's going to be a, an important piece of memorabilia, I feel, when Stetson Alley turns into a forty home run hitter for the Dodgers. <laughs> I'm not kidding about that, by the way. Bob's laughing because he knows Jason actually has a Stetson Alley autograph. Because that's right. This past year, I met Stetson Alley and asked him to autograph <laughs> a ticket for Jason. So, yeah, there's uh, there's some sad news for you. Stetson Alley will not be turning around his career as a uh, part of the Pittsburgh Pirates. But one of the interesting things to think about this offseason is, I think, what is the Pirates' core going into next year? And I think even though the Pirates' season did not end in the win-loss column um, particularly well, that kind of like the Indians, I think the Pirates are in a pretty good place going into next year. Would you agree with that? Oh, I think so. Yeah. 
I mean, when you look at what that team is bringing back and what they have to supplement this offseason, I mean, the the outfield, as it stands, you know, you have Kutch in center, Marte in left, and Polanco in right. I mean, you could have three potential all-stars in your outfield. Mm-hmm. Um, going around the infield, you know, it's a little spotty in places because you're not sure about Gong's health and what what he can do. Um, when his knee is a hundred percent, you know, you have Mercer who, you know, is a, a little better than replacement level. Um, you know, Josh Harrison certainly did not have the, uh, Babbitt fueled season that he had, um, two years ago this past season, but you know, he's, uh, he's a great number seven, six, seven hitter in your lineup. Um, and then you have, you know, first base, which has been pretty much a void in Pittsburgh since, I don't. I don't even know. I've never seen a good first baseman in Pittsburgh since I've been alive. Um, so maybe since Willie Stargell was playing there and mashing <laughs> baseballs. I don't know. I don't know. The last time the Pirates had a good first baseman. That's how bad it is there. But you look at how the season ended at first base, and Josh Bell came up, and you know, his first to bat as a major leaguer was a grand slam. Yeah. Like I feel like that's some foreshadowing of what we could have to look forward to at first base. And by the end of the season, he was getting much more consistent at bats. Um, I think Hurdle probably has a little more faith in him defensively because he didn't look like Pedro Alvarez at first base. So that's, <laughs> I think, something that you can look forward to. That's a positive, too. Cervelli's locked up. He's a great pitch framer. He works really well with our staff. I mean, I think a, the big question mark going into next year is how do the Pirates supplement this rotation? Which I think if we've learned anything about the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, we've learned that they're going to supplement this rotation by finding whatever the layer of crap is, as Billy Bean would say, and then digging through that layer that's below that pile of crap and trying to find guys to rehabilitate and and to uh, to get bargain deals on. And that's just kind of the way it's going to be with the pitching in Pittsburgh. They're never going to go out and spend $200 million to bring in David Price. Nope, not happening. They're either going to develop their pitching or they're going to trade for Ivan Nova or sign Jay Happ after he's released or, you know, do whatever it is that they're going to do to fill in the back end of that rotation. But you think, though, that with their track record of, if you want to say, rehabilitating pitchers, that should be probably a very attractive bargain for one who is a free agent to say, you know what, why not go there for a year or two and see what happens? Interesting that you should mention that, Bob, because a pitcher this offseason has said, I should go to Pittsburgh and see what happens. You know, <laughs> what a great, we are an amazing team. What a great transition. Do you happen to know who that pitcher was that said that this offseason? Is it a guy who uh, spent his whole career in Texas? It is that guy. <laughs> He has an amazing mustache and a pretty good Harry Carey impression. We're, of course, <laughs> talking about Mr. Derek Holland, uh, who has said that he, or it's rumored, I don't know if he has actually said it directly, but um, the rumor circling around him is that Pittsburgh seems like an appealing option to him because of their track record of <laughs> rehabilitating starters. Um, Derek Holland is that player in or below that layer of crap that you would look at and be like, all right, well, this could be our... Uh, this could be our kind of guy. Um, but that's how that's how Pittsburgh's pitching is just going to have to function. I, what would you think about a guy like 
Derek Holland signing in Pittsburgh? I would think that would be a very good signing. For the Pirates or for Derek Holland? Uh, for both, actually. Because I think, as you mentioned, the core is intact still to have a very successful season. And for Holland to go somewhere where there already is a track record of guys coming back and performing well, to me it's a win-win. So to you, if you were the Pittsburgh Pirates, you would be looking at a guy like Derek Holland who maybe is talented, but um, how do I want to articulate this clearly? He has he has talent, but maybe not an ability to, to stay healthy or to, to produce like um, he should. That's kind of yes. kind of your thought see, on that? I see parallels between Holland and J.A. Happ. Okay, yeah, which I, I think that's a pretty fair um, assessment when you're talking about... Uh, but whereas Holland actually had more success prior than Happ has had before. Right, yes. J.A. Happ was... <laughs> I've, I've said this numerous times. J.A. Happ, if the Pirates had not uh, decided to, to take a shot on him after... Did the Mariners release him or did they did they trade for him? I think the Mariners released him, I but I'm not sure I think they did too. if it was a release and then trade or yeah. what. No, I'd, no, I'd kind of have to go back and look. I don't think I want to take the time to do that. But um, yeah, so irregardless, J.A. Happ was about two months from getting like a minor league invite to camp the next year. You know what I mean? Like it was it was looking pretty grim for him. Um, so yeah, the, Derek Holland does have a much more impressive, I guess, body of work than J.A. Happ coming into Pittsburgh. Um, this year is not really a great year for anybody to be looking for a free agent pitcher. Um, we've had a little action going on already um, this offseason with, you know, Charlie Morton, I think, signed with the Astros. Yep, two Bartolo, years. Bartolo Colon to the Braves, R.A. Dickey to the Braves. Um, like your big free agent pitcher acquisition this year is probably going to be Rich Hill. Like he's the big guy that is going to get like a weird contract because he's like 36 or 37, Uh huh. but he's far and away the biggest talent on the free agent market. So I don't know what the market's going to do with him. Um, I have a name for you. Throw it out there. For the Pirates. All right. Would you, Andy Burdick, as general manager of the Pirates, take a flyer on Henderson Alvarez? That's an interesting thought. Henderson Alvarez is the kind of guy that's going to be below the crap line. Right. I mean, sure, why not? He's not going to cost you a lot of money. (laughs) Like, I don't this. This free agent market is going to be, I think, really unique because there's really not a whole lot of talent out there. I mean, it's like Rich Hill, Jeremy Hellickson, who accepted a qualifying offer from the Phillies, Ivan Nova. Um, like they're talking about, like, would Edinson Volquez be smart to come back to Pittsburgh? Like that's where we're at. So yeah, Henderson yeah. Alvarez, why not? Why not? <laughs> People are like people are saying should Andrew Kashner come to Pittsburgh? Like, that's that's what we're working with. Not a there's not a lot of uh, not a lot of talent out there. Yeah, I roll the dice on Henderson Alvarez. Like it can't be worse than Juan Nicasio, and he's not going to cost you a ton of money. Mm-hmm. 
And he was a historically a high ground ball inducing pitcher too, I believe. Was he? Yeah. I mean, that's we know the Pittsburgh is loving guys like that. So, yeah, roll the dice. I know when we were talking earlier on, um, you, Jason, and I, um, actually, Jeremy Hellickson was a name that I brought up. I, he seemed like the kind of guy that maybe Pittsburgh would want to take a shot at um, before he accepted that qualifying offer. There's no way Jeremy Hellickson was going to make $17 million um, on the if going into free agency. Like, I just no. don't think that was going to ever happen. Um, I was kind of surprised that Philadelphia offered him a qualifying offer. I was surprised, too, by that. But, yeah. So that's what Pittsburgh, I think, is going to have to be doing to supplement their core. Now, talking about the core of the Pirates and, and how it could change, the big trade rumor that's been swirling around Pittsburgh for the last year is what the Pirates should do with Andrew McCutcheon. Um particularly with that underperformance that he had last year where he was basically a replacement level player, depending on how much you buy into the defensive metrics. Um, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting question. Um, Kutch's defensive numbers were brutal last year. Um, according to fan graphs, he was 16 and a half runs below average in the outfield, which I mean that like, I have a hard time believing that watching Andrew McCutcheon day after day that he was really that bad. Um, but, I mean, that that was rough. That's um, pretty bad. And so after the season, there were rumors uh, that the Pirates had actually had a trade in the works with the Washington Nationals. Um, but the, the talks kind of stalled out because um, the Pirates were asking for the Nats' best outfield prospect, uh, Victor Robles. Um, which I thought that was kind of interesting that, that they were actually talking to a team about that. But I want to pose this question to you. What would you do if you were the Pirates front office with Andrew McCutcheon? Oh, man. I would hesitate to trade him personally for multiple reasons. I also want to go ahead and see what would he do performance-wise in April and May before I make any decision. Yeah, I, uh, I am 100% in agreement with that. You can't trade Andrew McCutcheon number one right now because his stock is... His value Yeah, it's just... It, you don't sell low like that. Um, but number two, you can't do that because you're going into next season, presumably, with the mindset that you're going to be a competitive team. And trading Andrew McCutcheon is not the move that you make when you're a competitive team going into the season. Now, if you get halfway through the season and you realize, all right, this season's lost, this is another $14 million, and Andrew McCutcheon still has another, you know, it's a club option, and I'm assuming it'll stay a club option if he's traded, but I guess I'd have to go look. But, you know, he has a $14.5 million club option for 2018. Yeah, maybe you start a quick rebuild. You know, you trade for a team's prospect that's towards the top of their list, and you look for a guy that can maybe help you in a year or two, and you go from there if next season ends up being lost. But you can't go into next season trading Andrew McCutcheon this offseason. Like, I just <laughs> – I can't picture Pittsburgh doing that. Let's play what if. What if he comes back and performs, you know, adequately well for McCutcheon standards? Not as bad as 2016, but not as good as 2015 in the prior years. What reasonable return – would you expect and hope for 
and a trade for him. I mean, if you are operating under the premise that <laughs> Pittsburgh was asking for realistically the Nationals' best hitting prospect, that's what I would think you would be getting back. Like, you've got to be getting back, like, a Clint Frazier or a Bradley Zimmer or a, you know, Victor Robles or someone who's at the top of a team's uh, list of prospects. And I'm not talking about, like, the Angels' best hitting prospect. I mean, you should be getting, like, a legitimate top 100 prospect back. Right. That's where I would think every deal with Kutch is going to be started, and unless you're talking about his last year of his contract. And then, you know, that's where you're kind of like, all right, we flip him to a contender and just kind of take what we get. But he's got, you know, he's got 2017 and 2018 with really club-friendly prices. So I, I still think you're asking for a team's best hitting prospect. So part two of that question was, is that what you want as a hitting prospect in return? Or do you want pitching knowing that you have Meadows waiting in the wings? That's a good question. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's never any guarantees in baseball. So, but Austin Meadows is tore up double a once he came back from that orbital socket fracture he struggled a little bit um in indianapolis but he's going to get a chance at the beginning of this year to kind of figure out triple a pitching um that's a that's a good question i guess in my head i'd been thinking i would only want that hitting prospect back but yeah maybe asking for a you know a, a great pitching prospect back i think pitching is just harder to trade for teams Mm-hmm. Like it's harder for, you know, it'd be hard for Pittsburgh to trade Tyler Glasnow. I think it'd be easier for Pittsburgh to trade in Austin Meadows because right. you want controllable pitching because it's so expensive. I don't know. That's a good question. I'd kind of have to sit around and think about that for a minute. Oh, got you, got you thinking. Yeah, got the old gears turning there. I have to start thinking about what uh what I want to pitch her back for Kutch. Um. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what you do with McCutcheon. I do know that you, I'd feel really bad about trading him at the beginning of this year because I think that sends the wrong message for the direction that your club is in. Um, right. That being said, Robert Temple of the Pittsburgh Tribune Review um, interviewed Clint Hurdle as it pertained to Andrew McCutcheon and specifically him being traded. Um, Hurdle's quote from the article was, I'll take it one day at a time. I think any general manager that's in a market similar to the one we're in has to explore the possibility of trading players who have one or two years left on their contracts. You have to see what value there is to keep or to move. Boy, that's like kind of a, (laughs) I don't know. I I mean, I watch the Pirates pretty closely and I listen to Clint Hurdle talk a lot. And that seems like a really, (laughs) just out of context, that seems like a really cold quote. From Clinton Hurdle, <laughs> who seems to be like a really players kind of manager, you know what I mean? Right. <clears throat> but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, the one thing I feel fairly confident about is that uh, I don't think Andrew McCutcheon's going to spend the rest of his career in Pittsburgh. I, I don't get that feeling. Um. Yeah. Just defend. I was really hoping. That he would be able to, but it's not likely. Defensively, you know, he's, especially if you look at last seasons and you buy into those numbers, he's deteriorating defensively pretty quickly. He, I mean, it makes sense to move him, and we've talked about this also, it makes sense to move him to a corner probably next year. I would 
think you'd have to entertain moving Kutch to right, mm-hmm. Blanco to left, and Marte to center. Um, so it, it doesn't end unless it's a really, really club friendly contract. Like it doesn't make sense for Pittsburgh to spend that money with Austin Meadows down there. It makes me sad to say that because I will be really sad when when they trade Andrew McCutcheon or when Andrew McCutcheon's not a Pittsburgh Pirate anymore because he's the best player that we've had since Barry Bonds. Um, yeah, <coughs> that that would be a tough one to to uh, stomach. Um, just some stuff to think about though. Um, looking forward to next year. You know, we talked about that core. Um, I think if you're looking at the Pirates next season, they have that good young core. Josh Bell's probably going to be at first base full-time. I think you're pretty much done with that JSO experiment. Um, I would think you're going to put JSO in when you think that he might have a favorable matchup or something like that, but he's probably going to serve, I would think, more as a pinch hitter next year and spot starter at first base. Um, and then you look at the rotation... And while the rotation was a weakness last year, certainly, you know, Garrett Cole's going to kind of get to rest and make sure that he's healthy going into next year at the top of that rotation. Behind him, you're probably, I'm assuming, going to get a full season from Tyler Glasnow. Um, you know, Jamison Talion, if he's healthy all year. I think a, a rotation that features Garrett Cole, Tyler Glasnow, and Jamison Talion is... <laughs> On paper, three great starters that you have at the top. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, most teams in baseball would love to have three pitchers like that at the top of their rotation, just with Mm -hmm. the pedigree alone. So then you're figuring out, like, all right, what are we doing with the back end of this rotation, which every team has to do every year. Um, So I don't know. I, I feel pretty good about the Pirates going into 2017. I think it's going to be about what, players they call up during the season and how they contribute and how wisely they spend their money this offseason that determines uh, how successful they'll be. Any final thoughts on the Pirates, Bob, before we wrap this thing up? Uh, just a <clears throat> subtle, uh, I guess, final passing thought was I did see the Pirates made a coaching change at third base. Yeah. The old Joey Cora. Yeah, Joey Cora, who uh, – was the uh, AA Altoona manager last year who uh, kind of blew me off when I saw him in Erie. Oh. Yeah, cold, Joey Core gave me the cold shoulder. Um, he just doesn't realize how good of a guy you are. That's exactly it. Yeah, I think they uh, they got tired of uh, Rick Sofield looking like um, Carl Spackler from Caddyshack lying down on the ground <laughs> looking at gophers. <laughs> getting, it was getting a little ridiculous over there how animated he was. They needed a more a more stable presence at third base, not someone who's rolling around doing log rolls uh, in the middle of a game. And uh, yeah, actually, they uh, I think they moved Lavia from first base and they uh, gave him a front office position, maybe as like a scouting director or something. So I think both bases are going to look different next year. Yeah, uh, first base coach. I see you have a Camara Barty. Yeah. So Lavia's out. Sofield Lavia's out because he was his position was changed. Sofield they terminated his contract. So yeah, gonna look a little different. Which 
at the beginning of last or at the beginning of this past season, do you remember how we talked about how Pittsburgh extended all their coaches? Right. And it was a really odd thing to do because usually teams don't do that. And <laughs> I guess this is why, because they're pretty unhappy about the way that things went last year <laughs> on the basis, I guess. And now they're having to fire people that they just extended. But that's baseball. I don't think anyone's going to be taking it too, too personally. All right, uh, let's wrap this thing up with a quick Seawolves shout-out. Some big news for the Erie Seawolves. We have a Seawolves alum uh, who is the uh, AL Rookie of the Year now. Of course, we're talking about uh, Detroit Tigers phenom Michael Fulmer, uh, mm-hmm. who won AL Rookie of the Year. Can, uh, can we give the fans a little fun fact about Michael Fulmer, Bob? Sure, go for it. Uh, Michael Fulmer... <coughs> rookie of the year this offseason is going to be working as a plumber for a family friend and this is not apparently the first offseason that he's done it michael fulmer i don't know if he's like a licensed plumber but he works <laughs> as a plumber in the offseason how would you love for the al rookie of the year to show up and be uh <laughs> and be installing a sink in your basement or whatever how crazy would that be That'd be, that'd be fantastically crazy for me. And when you look at Michael Fulmer, doesn't he just look like a guy who could be a plumber in real life? If he wasn't, if Michael Fulmer was not amazing at throwing baseballs, if you looked at him, you'd be like, yeah, that guy's probably a plumber. Yeah. He's got this manly beard, just this look about him where he's like, yeah, I'm a blue collar kind of guy. Hunter, fisherman. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, he looks like, yeah, he could be like, if Michael Fulmer said he was like an Alaskan offshore fisherman in the off season, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. He looks like a he looks like a man's man. Michael Fulmer does. Yeah. So there's a little fun fact for you. Michael Fulmer is a plumber. I think it's like a family in Oklahoma or some uh, midwestern state like that. If you are in Tulsa and you need a new sink, I would call this guy. So I had to finish that coffee. No problem. I think that's uh, gonna wrap us up today. Anything else we wanna? we want to touch on it's been literally two months since we recorded last so we had to get a lot of stuff out i don't think i think we should probably have a another podcast here soon to review the uh mlb award season yeah yeah that'll take a a whole podcast in and of itself yeah yeah we need to try and get the band back together again soon okay well uh that's gonna wrap us up for today we'd like to again thank our listeners and ask if you're listening to us on itunes that you give us a rate and review Obviously, judging by the last two months, our podcast recordings are a little sporadic, but keep your ear to the ground. Make sure you subscribe so you get our latest podcasts on your phones. In the meantime, you can check us out on the web at www.psmbaseball.com. You can email us, tristatebb.psmbaseball.com. You can follow us on Twitter at tristatebb. And you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash tsmbaseball. So for Bob Finkbeiner, this is Andy Burton, and we look forward to talking to you soon.